Hey everybody, welcome to week whatever the hell it is. Um, yeah, hope everybody, like, it looks like Hawaii so far, and hopefully this hasn't changed by the time you hear this, but we, we've avoided the worst of this. Um, but it's still a really rough time, um, economically, etc. Like, you know, hopefully everybody is, is able to stay safe and stay sane. Um, yeah, so we're going to look this time at immigration diaspora, people moving out of Hawaii, um, and the creation of a, a Hawaiian, like a native Hawaiian diaspora, um, and just a Hawaii diaspora, um, of people who left, um, yeah, all right, let's start the show. Okay, so let's look at some of the reasons why people leave. Um, sometimes it's temporary. Um, you know, you, you leave for work, you leave for school. That's a picture of me freezing my ass off in Michigan. Um, that jacket was not warm enough for that weather. Um, people leaving for military service or just the cost of living, uh, the cost of living. Um, a lot of people seem, uh, well, you know, I'll leave temporarily. Uh, I'll leave for a little bit. I'll, I'll save up some money and then I'll move home. Um, some people just, just to check it out. I know a lot of people who, who moved briefly because a cousin was in, in Vegas or something and they just moved up, um, to, to see how it was. Um, some come back, some don't, um, you know, sometimes it's temporary. Um, I'm not sure, like a lot of people move to the mainland for a little while, um, then move back. Um, sometimes it's permanent though. It's the same, a lot of the same reasons above, but some people just have no desire to return. Um, I know people who, you know, they, they wanted to move out of Hawaii from day one and they were never been so happy to, to be someplace else. Um, for some reason or other, like Hawaii was just not it. Um, you know, some people, the cost of living is so bad here that people move to, you know, again, Vegas. And just sort of like, hey, I can buy a house for $100,000. That's a down payment in Hawaii. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of reasons people, people leave. Um, and, and for a lot of people, it's, it's also this, this sort of want to return. I know a lot of people who've moved to the mainland and have been trying to get back their, their whole lives. Um, and often just never do or they can until they retire. It's, um, it's rough. Um, but that's, that's reality. Uh, it's, yeah, like things are tough out there. Um, so those are some of the reasons people leave. Um, and we'll kind of look at historically, um, some of the periods when people leave. Now there's a pretty long history of people leaving Hawaii, um, temporarily at least, um, that we can trace, um, that really prominent people in Hawaii's, Hawaii's history, um, this dude, Katyana, um, who ends up in the 1780s, who goes to China, he comes back, he has a bunch of guns, um, he joins Kamehameha, he's a major supporter of Kamehameha, a, a favorite of Kamehameha's for a while. Um, in the 1810s, there's a bunch of Hawaiians in New England, and when they come back, they're missionaries. Um, the 1820s and 1840s, there's a bunch of Hawaiians that go into the West Coast fur trade, um, and a lot of them come back. Um, and they, they're, they're often prominent because of the, the money that they made in the fur trade. Um, not big money, um, but it is some success. 
However, this is also when we start seeing more and more Hawaiians leaving Hawaii and staying and creating kind of Hawaii, Hawaii related communities, um, people uh, like communities with other Hawaiians, et cetera, some connections back home. And that's what we'll, we'll look at with diaspora, um, where people not just move, um, but move and then retain a connection to the, to the homeland. Um, so in the West Coast fur trade, a lot of, a lot of those guys marry into native um, groups. Um, there's places that are named things like Kanaka Bar, um, not bar like drinking bar, but like bar like a geographical feature in a river um, where Hawaiians, there are just a lot of Hawaiians. Um, the, start of the, the start of the gold trade, um, the guy who, um, Sutter's Mill, Sutter had actually recruited a bunch of Hawaiians to go and work with, it, with him. Um, and they married into the Maiden people, Maiden people. Um, and they, um, yeah, until today, like a lot of the people within that tribe trace their ancestry back to Hawaiians um, to, to the degree that in the 1950s and 60s, when they were trying to bring the language back, a lot of the older people um, had to unpack within their own, like within their own vocabulary, what were Native American words and what were Hawaiian words, um, because the language that they spoke with each other was, was this mixture of those two and English. Um, so there are Hawaiians that are forming communities um, before the 20th century, um, mostly on the, the West Coast. Um, and then you have, you know, Hawaiians that are going up there for elite schooling. Johnny Wilson goes yeah, to Stanford. Uh, Kuhio goes to California. Princess Kuyuleni goes to, um, goes to England. Um, so there's all these different ways that Hawaiians, and this is mostly Hawaiians, um, the pre-20th century, are moving around and, and traveling um, and starting to create those, those, those communities elsewhere. Then we get to the territorial era. Um, during the territorial era, um, there's like a small 1900 boom. And this, 19, this is mostly going to be Japanese um, because there is a Hawaii exemption, exemption to the gentleman's agreement where Japanese can still migrate to Hawaii after 1905. Um, a lot of Japanese are migrating to Hawaii and then migrating to the to the east or sorry west coast. Um, so this is where you start seeing that shift from a Hawaiian migration out to a Hawaii migration out. Um, and this this comic book it's it's one of the first comics it's one of the first um, comics uh, like comic book length comics not just like one ofs. Um, drawn and written by, uh, by a Japanese guy. Um, and he lived in California for a long time. Then we moved back to Japan. Um, it's called the Four Immigrants Manga. And it's all based on stuff that, like his experiences in, in San Francisco um, when he was living there. And one of the things this, that he's showing is like, it's, he's coming from like, this particular guy, this guy, this character in the comic is coming from a samurai family. And he came over as a student and even though he's not exactly doing very well economically himself, he sees all these poor immigrants coming off the ship. And he's like, oh, these poor immigrants coming in from Hawaii. Um, and there's like this class issue. But it, it goes to show that like this is kind of a prominent part of, of like Hawaii's role was that there were, Hawaii was, for a lot of um, migrants, it was seen as a, like Hawaii was an entryway into the, the United States. Um, and so we'll see this, you know, less so Native Hawaiians, mostly Japanese, 
um, later on Filipinos to migrating to Hawaii and then to to um, California. But also after World War One and World War Two, a lot of ex-military, um, and this is including you know Hawaiians, um, etc. And you know post World War Two, it's going to be the it's going to be Asian Americans, right? It's going to be like that's who one of the big groups is going to be is no longer people who are migrants to Hawaii, but people who are born and raised in Hawaii and then migrating elsewhere. Um, and so that's, you know, we, we start seeing after World War II with all these military guys, some people who went to careers and that's why they migrated. Um, some people who, who just liked it someplace else or got married someplace else and, and stuck out, you know, hey, I'm going to move to California, et cetera. Um, that generation is going to have these really strong ties to Hawaii, either because they're Hawaiian or because they're born and raised in Hawaii, um, and yet living on the mainland. So we're going to see more and more community building around this idea of these connections to Hawaii as community building. So after statehood, however, um, like there is going to be a small wave um, right after statehood because basically most of the waves after this, when you see housing prices go up, you will see um, a wave of people moving to, to the mainland. Um, in the 1960s, some of it is education. People are, are going for better education because you know, we don't have the law school. We don't have the medical school. We didn't have a dentistry school. God damn, do we? I don't even know. I think we still don't have dentistry. Um, we have dental techs. Um, but yeah, there's, there are going to be small ways of edu- for education, et cetera. But a lot of it is going to be real estate prices go up in Hawaii. Fewer people can afford to live here. More people move to California, Vegas, et cetera. Um, so 1960s is going to be a small one. 1970s is going to be a big wave. And that's because all of that development in Hawaii is going to lead to increased housing prices. And as that happens, more and more people are priced out of Hawaii. And it's just like, I can go to California and I can get a job in, you know, somewhere in California. And if I'm not in San Francisco or L.A., it will be much cheaper to live. I can go to Vegas, et cetera. Um, and then uh, the same thing is going to happen in 1990 to 2008. Um, the real estate market in Hawaii is just going to go, like every year, it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Um, a place that I was, me and my friends were renting out for in, let's see, 2001, we're renting up three bedrooms, top story of a, of a two-story house um, in Kalihi um, for, what were we renting it out for at first? We were renting out for like $1,500 um, in 2000. And by the time we hit like 2005, um, the, price had, the price had gone up like, like almost a thousand bucks, man. It was crazy. Like right at 2008, everything was absolutely crazy. And then there's a, a fall, the, the real estate market fell a little bit, but it's still, it's still pretty bad. Um, and it, the, a lot of the people are leaving. It's this, it's this kind of weird mix of white collar people moving up for better jobs. Like there are more white collar jobs, college, like people going to college in California and then finding like there's more work available. Um, there's a lot of skilled labor that's leaving, right? People who are like, I'm a carpenter or something like, you know what? You can live a lot better in California as a carpenter than you can in Hawaii. Um, but even unskilled labor, like almost at every level, it's so much more expensive to live here in Hawaii that a lot of people leave. 
so let's look with a little bit more detail at that 1990 to 2000 period. Um, 1990 to 1999, the net domestic migration out of Hawaii was 99,371. That meant if you exclude foreign migration, if you exclude people coming from other countries and moving to Hawaii, 100,000 people, 100,000 people more moved from Hawaii to other parts of the United States and moved from other parts of the United States to Hawaii. Um, and again, it's almost all triggered by cost of living. Um, 1995 to 2000 alone, just in those five years, 200,000 people left the state of Hawaii um, and about 135,000 people moved into Hawaii from, from other parts of, of the United States. Um, and the reason is like that image right there in 2016 was a $200,000 three bedroom house in Las Vegas. It's, you know, you're in Vegas, but you know what? Like that's a newish house. It's a, it's a standalone home. You are not going to find a three bedroom, anything in Hawaii, um, for $200,000, right? Like that's just impossible. Um, the cost of living in Hawaii is so expensive. So many people moved out. Um, and that's that is the biggest driver yeah there's more there's more work on the mainland but a lot of it is like that the work that you can get is is just not going to buy you much here okay so what does all this mean um because so many people are moving out we start looking at this this question of like what does what does it mean for people to be tied into local culture in Hawaii, but not live in Hawaii? What does it mean for, you know, like, like if you have a cousin whose parents grew up in Hawaii, but your cousin grew up in, in Vegas, what are their ties to Hawaii? They come back every once in a while. They know what a spam musubi is. Um, like, does that, their parents are clearly part of a local, like, they still have connections to Hawaii, but... Yeah, we still got to start asking those questions. What does that mean for, you know, you have non-local people, people who aren't really part of local culture, but are Hawaii born and raised and then leave, like Obama, um, Bette Midler, who went to like Farrington or something, um, or to be native Hawaiian and to be on the mainland. If you're born and raised in the mainland, but you're native Hawaiian, like what are your, you know, how many connections do you have to the Hawaiian community? What, what's, like, what does that mean anymore? Um, yeah, it's, oof, man, like there's all these questions that come up. And this is something that a lot of people who are in that, that group, um, they're constantly sort of going over it and thinking about it. Um, and we're going to look at, okay, make, change the slide now. Um, okay, so let's look at two terms that can kind of help us look at this. Um, one is the term, which is just emigration, which just means migrating out. Emigration is we left Hawaii. We went someplace else, right? That's emigration. The other term is diaspora. So a diaspora is when people migrate, but then continue to have a community and they base their identity as a community on their connection to a homeland, right? And it can be kind of a real connection where it's like, yeah, I go home every month, like once a month or something, or it can be kind of an imagined community or ancestral homeland. Um, some of the big examples are like the Jewish diaspora, 
um, which when the Romans sort of like scattered a lot of the Jewish population across the Mediterranean, um, creates this sort of sense of like, we are a community because we're all tied together um, by our ties back to, to this place, even though no one in my family has been there for 400 years, right? Like that kind of thing. The Irish diaspora, you know, in Hawaii, or in, sorry, um, less so in Hawaii, but you know, on the West Coast or the East Coast of the United States, there's a lot of people who are like very into their Irish identity and they're very connected to Ireland. And they, no one in their family has been to Ireland for generations. And like, what do they know of Ireland except for like, oh, St. Patrick's Day? And the Irish are like, oh, yeah, no, that's not a, like, no. Um, but it's, it's a diaspora because it's, they maintain their sense of community based on that imagined connection to the Irish homeland. Um, and so that, those two terms, like we've mostly been looking at emigration and now let's look at diaspora. What does, what happens to, like, what can you do to create a community based on your ties to Hawaii when you're no longer in Hawaii? Okay, so one of the things that happens is that um, for a lot of native Hawaiians that are in the diaspora, and a lot of non-Hawaiians as well. One of the ways to maintain connections to home is through practicing or ties to Hawaiian, native Hawaiian culture, right? So we see, especially like hula, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of Hawaiians that are on the mainland dance hula. Um, but also a lot of non-Hawaiians with Hawaii connections, people who are from Hawaii or their parents are from Hawaii, also dancing hula as a way to maintain connections to Hawaii. Um, and like they're halal up and down the West Coast. Um, some of them are, you know, just some garbage person who is like, hey, I'm gonna, I like hula. I'm gonna call myself a kumuhula. Like, no, fuck those people. But there's also a lot of trained kumuhula up there who, um, you know, they, they, they understand that it's not just dance that is like, uh, it's a expression of culture. Like there's a lot going on with hula. Um, and, you know, this, this does lead into some questions of like, okay, well, what is the role of the Hawaiian diaspora, the people, the Hawaiians that are not in Hawaii, what is their role in Hawaiian culture? Are they just, do they have to always follow the lead of the people who are here? Um, and this has really come about around um, Mark Kelly'i Ho'omalu, um, who's Hawaii-born, trained in Hawaii, a kumuhula, but he's been in California since the 80s. Um, and he runs the Academy of Hawaiian Arts. And this is one of the most, like, you know, there's a lot of mainland halal, but this is definitely one of the most popular mainland halal. Like, when he goes to Mary Monarch, like, everybody's cheering. Like, well, not everybody, but he gets some big cheers. He also doesn't win that often um, because there's controversy. Um, because he is constantly, like, his style. Like, if you listen to, go and listen to, he's, he's playing around with hula a lot, constantly innovating. And people get mad and they're like, you, because you're out in the California, you're part of the diaspora, you're not allowed to innovate. You have to follow, right? So this kind of, this leads into these tensions between people in Hawaii and people in the diaspora of like, look, we're, people in Hawaii are uncomfortable innovating Hawaiian culture on our own. But then like, oh, you're, you're on the mainland and you're doing that. Um, and there is this like, there's a lot of back and forth there. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take sides on this one because that's a good way to get like some hula dancer mad at you, um, one way or another, regardless of which side you take on this. Um, but like 
yeah, that, that's a question, that's a, an issue that kind of has to be resolved within the Native Hawaiian community, both here and in the diaspora of like, okay, well, what's, what's the rules, right? What are the, what are the ties? What are the connections? Where are the issues? Um, these things have to be worked out. So another part of it is, okay, beyond Hawaiian culture, what about just local culture in general on the, on the mainland? Um, you know, there is this kind of, um, a, a lot of people, who, especially people who are first generation, who moved to California, moved to Arizona or something, um, or people who are temporary migrants who are there just for work or they're, they're just for school, to really emphasize the local part of their personality or identity in order to retain like connections to each other and to define themselves. Um, and so like, okay, this is the first link is the Stanford Hawaii club. And it's a bunch of people like, honestly, the Stanford Hawaii club is, it's mostly Iolani and Punahou grads who while they're in Hawaii tried really hard not to be local. And then they go up to Stanford and they're like, Oh crap, I'm around a bunch of other rich assholes. Um, how do I distinguish myself from them? And they're like, then all of a sudden they discover they're Hawaiian and this, they start, they start joining the Hawaii Stanford club. Um, and like this particular video is kind of, it's, it's a Chihu contest at Stanford. And it's just kind of like, I, I'm wondering how many people in this crowd, like in Hawaii would never like they hear a Chihu and they're instantly like, Oh crap. Like, like the poor people are here. And then while they're at Stanford, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah no, this is something that we do. Like, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Um, like, mm. Anyway, uh, the second link is the Hawaii Civic Club. The Hawaiian Civic Club has chapters in, in California and, and uh, Arizona and Vegas. Um, and that's, you know, like maintaining connections to Hawaii, maintaining connections to Hawaiian culture, but also maintaining local culture, like the Hawaiian Civic Club. Um, they hold events, etc., that are like meant to maintain that local, that connection to Hawaii um, and to local culture. Um, and then the last one is Local Boys Cafe, which was um, when I was at Oregon State for a little while um, in the 90s. Like that was, dude, you look at their menu. Their menu is so, it's so basic. Like local moco, I can make local moco. Like you can make all these things. But it was just the fact that there was a restaurant run by two guys from Waiakea and you go in there and there's all local people and there's local music um, and like you could sit there and eat a local moko and just pretend for a little while that you're at home. Like that was so, like that was key. Um, and like that restaurant was a center for like all the local kids at, in Oregon or not in Oregon, but at Oregon State. Um, and then also, like, if you yell Hobra in Vegas, like, see who turns around. Like, how many people in, in Vegas just walking down the street? Well, not right now. There's nobody walking down the street in Vegas. Um, but when there are people, like, how many people in Vegas are from Hawaii or connected to Hawaii? Like, there's entire, yes, there's all the tourists. Um, but how many people that live and work in Vegas um, are from Hawaii? Um, and a lot of them, like, there's a reason the LNL does good up there. It's not just people from Hawaii going up and wanting to eat that while they're gambling. Um, there's a reason why, like, a lot of local people end up going and eating at the um, at the all-you-can-eat buffets at the California. Um, it's because of all the local food. 
um, even if they like it's not very good local food in some cases, but you can still get it. That's the important thing. And one of the things is like, does, does it count as a diaspora? Like the local diaspora, what happens to that second generation of kids who like their parents are from Hawaii, their grandparents are still in Hawaii, they come home sometimes. Is that a diaspora or they just have some vague connection to Hawaii? Like, do they still identify themselves as connected to Hawaii? Um, you will see, a, like, that's a question. That's questionable. Um, like, most of the people I've met in, you know, on the mainland that had that kind of connection with their parents or from Hawaii, they're just like, they didn't see themselves as connected to Hawaii. They're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've been there. I visit my grandparents there. It's where my grandparents live. It's not someplace I really have a deep connection to. Um, there, is a, there is a shift. You do see a lot of people who are native Hawaiian because there is this sort of genealogy or ethnicity-based connection to Hawaii um, that often will retain these things. Um, but it's, again, it's, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Um, if there isn't a native Hawaiian community where you're at, if you're in, you know, bumfuck Iowa, you know, if you don't come home every month or every year or something, like, you're not going to have much connection um, unless you go out and look for that connection. Um, and what we'll see is actually a lot of people do go out and look for that connection, but it's, it's very, it's very sort of case by case. Like this is where it's a question of, does it really become a diaspora? Um, well, it really depends on how much effort you make to retain those connections. Um, it's, it's easy to, to be part of the Hawaiian diaspora in San Francisco or in Utah, cause there's lots of Hawaiians around. What happens if you're in Iowa? What happens if you're in urban, um, you know, Atlanta. Um, I don't know. You got to find, like, you either got to go out and find those connections or, or you lose them. You're, you're not part of a diaspora. You're, you're just part of that place where you are now. And then one of the kind of interesting things when it comes specifically to the native Hawaiian diaspora is that, um, man, there are a lot of people academics and stuff that that are part of that native Hawaiian diaspora um that it's through that that effort that search for figuring out what their connection and ties to Hawaii are that have been like really productive for gathering native Hawaiian knowledge um so for instance Noe Noe Silva who is you know she's written two books um she's a very prominent Hawaiian um she's a poly uh she's a political scientist but like She's really a historian. Um, yeah, she she grew up in the diaspora. Um, tai Tengan grew up a military kid. Um, another really prominent Hawaiian academic, um, Herb Kane, who like basically all the good historical like art um, based on the Hawaiian historical past. Like most of the good stuff is Herb Kane. That picture of like people being pushed off the poly, that's Herb Kane. Um, like, all the good stuff is Herb Kane. Um, and then this other one, this film, um, Ehaku Inoa, um, it's a really good one. It kind of digs into some of these issues, and it's about this this um, filmmaker, and she's trying to connect with her mom. Her her family, her dad moved her and her sister up to Oregon or something um, in the in the 80s, um, partly because the, the mom was having mental health issues. 
Um, and it's about her trying to reconnect with Hawaii, but also her trying to reconnect with her mom and dealing with all this kind of stuff. Um, it's a really good film. And normally I give people extra credit if they go to the library and rent this film or not rent it, but borrow it and view it. If you can get a copy of it, or you can find it, that'd be great. Um, if not, um, I'm, I'm going to try and see if I can get it online and put it up. Um, I'm going to see, but I'm not making any promises cause I'm not very good at that kind of thing. Um, okay. So that's it for this week. Um, no, wait, I apologize. That's it for today. Um, I'm going to have the other one up for Wednesday. Um, stay safe, everybody. Ah, sorry. Um, I'm recording this one before I record the one from Monday. So this is the end of the week. Um, I'll see you guys next week, Monday. Not really see you guys, but you know what I mean. Um, and you should have already watched the, or listened to the other one for Monday. So yeah, sorry, screwed that up.